Nike's slogan is just do it, as we, the whole world knows. But did you know that that strapline was inspired by a convicted killer called Gary Gilmore, who was executed for two murders in 1977. And Gilmore uttered the words, let's do it just before he was executed. The need for something like PayPal seems a lot less pronounced than, say, 10 years ago. The threat of fraud and just the general ability to pay online wasn't as common. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm Mike, and joining me in today's episode is My Wall Street's chief investor, Emmett Savage. Just a quick word from our friends at Vodafone Business before we move ahead. Vodafone have recently notched their VHub digital advisory service offering Irish businesses of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice. You don't even have to be a Vodafone business customer to avail of this service. Search Vodafone VHub to book a call with one of the VHub digital experts and we will leave a link in the show notes for today's episode. Hello everyone, I'd like to take one minute to tell you about a brand new My Wall Street service called Nexus and to invite you to register your interest so you can be the first to hear about it when it launches in November. As you know, AI is changing all businesses and those who do not embrace it risk being left behind. The product we've created fuses state-of-the-art AI, advanced filtering and the intelligence of master investors for short actionable insights. There are over 58,000 listed companies on 60 exchanges around the world from which just a handful will grow 100 fold or more. Just one is required to change your life. Nexus is built to find it. Had it existed at the time, Nexus would have pinpointed stocks like Monster, Sleep Number and Biospecifics all ahead of a minimum 100 fold growth. This is a low volume product for serious long term investors. Register now via the link in the show notes or visit mywallstreet.com forward slash Nexus to express your interest. Emmett, how are you? Hi, Mike. How are you today? We're I'm good. House. I'm good. I know. Yeah, it's it's taken a while to heat up the house this chilly Wednesday morning. I think Storm Kieran is outside beating down the door as well. So west of Ireland is getting a slamming from the from uh, Storm Kieran. What's it like over there at the minute? That's a bit. It's, it's really like gray, raining sideways, wind hitting the door. Not not amazing. Don't tell me it's nice in Dublin, is it? Look, you're just getting a normal Galway day. It's actually yeah. okay. I, I played tennis at the break of dawn this morning, so it wasn't too bad. We got rained on, but, you know, at least we could get out there. Yeah, okay. Well, it's been a while since it was just myself and yourself. We've had a bunch of interviews recently, so we're going back to kind of a normal cadence, we'll say, for this week. The OGs. This is um, this is where it's at, Mike. The real conversations yeah. happen here. <laughs> I'm so unprepared, so literally this is going <laughs> to well, be that's... as gone in holster as it gets. That's good. That's good because it's kind of a riffing enough podcast for team, I suppose, for this week. Anyways, it's basically my idea was I took three companies and I'm trying to figure are they value traps or deep value plays. So mm. three companies that the market has just chewed up and spit out over the last year and a half, two years, we'll say, uh, all hit all-time highs in 2021 and have all been absolutely bet up since basically so the three companies are disney nike and paypal mm. uh, so let me know where you want to start and we can dive in how about i start with a little story about nike yeah because uh, this is a good one so we're recording the day after halloween so i'm going to tell you a story that's exactly 51 and a half weeks 
too early for Halloween because it's a bit of a spooky story. And as as I think we mentioned on the podcast before, I, I definitely have a soft spot for my heart in my heart for Nike because when I read Shoe Dog, as we discussed on this show before, um, I just really liked Phil Knight, its founder. Like he is the Warren Buffett or the Bill Gates of the sneaker world, and and um, the book gives a really personal account of his journey to build Nike and it starts with him regaling this post-college trip around the world during which he conceives of an idea of importing high quality running shoes from Japan so I think in the book he said he started with a $50 loan from his dad and he created Blue Ribbon Sports which of course went on to become Nike and it's a very beautiful and relatable story I think but here's the spooky here's a spooky not fun fact about Nike um, which is, as I said, a little bit early for Halloween or just a tiny bit late. late. So ho- Nike's slogan is just do it, as we, the whole world knows. But did you know that that strapline was inspired by a convicted killer called mm-hmm. Gary Gilmore, who was executed for two murders in 1977? And Gilmore uttered the words, let's do it just before he was executed. And Dan Whedon, who's the founder of Whedon and Kennedy, which is this huge, big American global advertising agency, and I think were made famous because our relationship with Nike was inspired by Gilmore's words, and he created the Just Do It campaign in 1988. Isn't that pretty spooky? (laughs) It's awful. Why why did they advertise it, especially if he's an advertising guy like yeah, so I don't think that at the time when they went to the Just Do It strap line that they would have said, hey, guess what, a guy in death row said it. <laughs> guess, guess who inspired this? Yeah. And it didn't even make Phil Knight's autobiography. And I'd heard that rumor and had to go digging on the internet to actually substantiate it. Um, so you can understand why Phil Knight decided to sidestep that part yeah. of the story. But I just, when I uh, was double checking on it, I thought, oh yeah, that's very Halloween-y and it's a good opener for a show that's going to air after Halloween. <laughs> yeah. That's gas. Because didn't he pay like uh, an art student who made the swoosh like, two dollars and change or something as well so we've got yeah somebody paid absolute peanuts for the most like iconic you know (laughs) emblem in sports and then a a convicted murder coming up with the slogan as well (laughs) but that reminds me of origins uh, yeah like the rebrand of twitter the the guy who did the x uh wrote on twitter thought it was very, or on x he wrote an x i i spent 10 days working on x and here are 10 lessons i learned which i thought was beautifully ironic like he literally came in he drew an x and he was fired so yeah. he decided to regale the world with his his uh 10 number 10 takeaways from working at x <laughs> all right well let's get into nike the stock and don't want to call it nike either I call it nike in ireland but all mm. the Americans will be on the line calling it Nike. Uh, so mm. let's get into Nike the stock now. So down about 40%, a bit more from all-time mm. highs set in November of 2021. Currently trading at a price-to-earnings ratio of just over 30. Its five-year average price-to-earnings ratio is about 45. So we can see it's definitely trading at a discount. And then the shares are still above their COVID low. So it isn't really seeing the same downturn as Disney or PayPal, which we'll get to later in the show. So I think the struggles and why it's fallen has come basically from an excess inventory issue. So post-pandemic, so I think it had a, a not enough inventory over the pandemic. It got exposed, especially for its supply chain in China. Since then, it's overbought and overproduced. And that is always a concern, especially with the apparel companies. We saw that really affect Under Armour 
over the last, we'll say, five, 10 years in terms of flooding the markets and then becoming discounts and all the rest. And obviously that plays havoc to a company's brand, something that's so important to Nike. But I think in terms of the inventory, it's kind of abating. We've seen some very positive earnings reports in more recent times, but there's still the lingering effects on costs, pressure on margins, and then the multiple compression, which we've seen. The other concern we mentioned is the strength of the consumer, especially in China. So China is responsible for about 14% of total revenues last year in fiscal 2023. And this is the region that's kind of come under pressure, we'll say, in terms of strength of the consumer. And we obviously know apparel and footwear is 100% a discretionary expense. Even in America, we've seen this as well. Uh, Foot Locker and Dick Sporting Goods had two awful earnings reports and brought Nike down with it during the summer. So that's kind of, we'll say, the bear case. Now, Mm. we're going to discuss Disney and PayPal after this, and their Mm. issues could be considered a lot more systemic than what Nike is facing now. I think, in my opinion anyways, this feels much more like a short-term blip, we'll say, than anything like inherently wrong with the business, or that could say break an investment thesis. What's your what's your opinions on that? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, as you know, Mike, I generally avoid fashion. And Nike, you could say, is on the periphery of fashion. It almost transcends fashion. It, it is, of course, produces high-performance sports where that needs to be fashionable, but it's it feels like an everlasting brand. And what you described there, which is effectively the inventory struggles that every apparel and fashion maker goes through. It's just their roadmap. That's just the gig they're in. And I, you can imagine that they are far, far better at it than the next, because you can just think of the resources and the learnings that Nike has had over the last, uh, whatever it is, 30 years. So uh, yeah, I, I think when we, when we kind of put a spotlight on an industry or sector specific problem, Part of your thinking needs to be, well, they have armies of MBA students thinking about this problem way harder than me to sort it out. And and I, it's funny, like you're right. I think for Nike and the other two brands, you said Disney, and what's the third one we're going to talk about? PayPal. Gonna, PayPal, right. So certainly Nike and Disney are these kind of American icon brands. They are resourced and paced by the fact that three of them are American icons. And, and we'll, we'll dive, I have some stories about PayPal, hope I get them right because I said I'm treating from the hip here. But the but the um, they are three mega brands in entirely different areas, and I think they are just what you've described there is just a, oh yeah another day at the office for Nike. So when you you said as you were describing their inventory problem, the whole story about Under Armour flooded to mind, and it's really what do they do with excess inventory because luxury brands usually destroy excess inventory rather than discount it. And I think that that's not something that you would do in the sports world. Uh, it just, it just to me, it doesn't make any sense because you're not trying to uphold a brand value. But I certainly, my natural inclination is to ignore the ebbs and flows of the inventory story for a business like Nike. Yeah, and just touching on that, like kind of, protecting the brand equity we'll say so forbes Mm. calculated nike's brand equity at it was around 40 billion dollars so i think it put it at the 13th most valuable brand in the world up alongside you know 
trillion dollar businesses. Um, and that's actually what's really impressive is Piper Sandler just did a, they do an annual teen survey basically where they ask teens what they like, what they don't like. Nike was the number one brand in both footwear and in apparel. So not only is it mm. built this massive brand, but it's protecting it as well in terms of the younger generations. It's not slowing down whatsoever. And I think that was the yeah. problem with Under Armour, especially. We always go back to it because Under Armour shows what not to do with the brand, especially in this space, whereas Nike has done it for so mm. long and exemplary, we'll say. And, it, and even now, like, you know, it's not going after maximum revenue, we'll say. It, it took its products off Amazon. It's, it's not selling at certain stores. It reorganized its uh, relationship with Foot Locker, with other wholesalers all to protect its cool i suppose and that's and that's the one thing i think that we always come back to with nike is that it ha- has this brand value and it protects it so well that it's the real economic moat there that other competitors just can't create and i think that's why yeah. that's why i'm putting nike maybe aside from the other two which we'll discuss now i think so so yeah, yeah. i'm with you there yeah. it definitely feels like much more par for the course we'll say and As, maybe maybe a good opportunity in terms of buying. We, we, it doesn't it doesn't trade at thirty times earnings very often. Uh, I think it hasn't yeah. traded since two thousand and seventeen. It hasn't been this cheap. So. Yeah, and as you know only too well at the moment, uh, Mike, we're, we are busy just readying a new service for launch called Nexus, which combines AI, screening, and human intelligence. See, I can't miss the opportunity to plug it, uh, and I think it's going to be the greatest service uh, of its type ever launched but anyway uh, i continue to plug but i looked uh, at nike uh, in nexus and and what i found was that it has uh like this really incredible sustained return on equity which was very unusual in the industry its return on equity at the moment is around 34 percent its return on invested capital has remained more or less at or above 20 percent for years and years and years and its sales are growing and when you take those three uh, quantitative factors and combine them, which is growing sales and a highly capital efficient business, you are ultimately looking at a business that will regress, uh, or sorry, rather revert to the mean. And its mean at the moment, which is its share prices down, is feels to me like a very temporary um, a temporary problem, if you like, on a, on a business that's of the highest quality. And you don't need to dive into numbers to know that. I think your average bystander would just look at Nike. And again, comparing to Under Armour, I remember I remember when I invested in Under, in Under Armour, I would say f- maybe 15 or 20 years ago, the logic, uh, uh, my logic at the time was this is a challenger brand. This, like Nike is the brand your dad wears and young people want to wear this new up and coming brand that stands for something different. And as time has gone by, uh, initially under uh, Under Armour delivered against that we're the cool brand and your dad leave the Nikes for your dad. Uh, whereas it's actually done a complete uh, 180 degree turn. Whereas Nike is now from my perception, the cooler brand and Under Armour is that discounted thing and big shopping, you know, discount places like Woodbury Common and whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just on that last point as well, um, management has recognized basically that shares are on discount. So it's accelerated its buyback problem at the minute oh, as well, which is interesting. positive to see. Okay, yeah. uh, let's move on then. We have Disney or PayPal. Where do you want to go on it? I'm easy. Go right, ahead. Let's start, let's start with Disney. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. who doesn't hold a place in their heart for Disney? 
Like it's yeah. it, like when I hear Disney, I'm just hit with nostalgia. And um, do you have a whole pile of facts before I basically start rambling? Yeah, let me let me go through the numbers okay, and stocks the now, Don't. and then do you it. can get into you just can get it. into your own bit. Uh, so down roughly sixty percent from all time highs set in March of twenty twenty one. Currently trading, this is interesting. Currently trading the price to earnings of sixty five. So it's five year average is sixty there. So it's actually becoming more expensive, and this is because its earnings are going down because it's spending so much money on Disney Plus and all the rest. Uh, interestingly, though, its price to cash flow is at nineteen times. It's five-year average, 35. So it is still bringing in money, but it's not turning into profit. Shares are now sitting at a roughly nine-year low. Um, so we'll get into why in a minute, but you uh, you take the lead there. Well, as a business, it's really just unreal. Like the vastness and the complexity of the Disney organization is, is just mind-boggling. And we generally assess a business from what we can see. We spoke about Nike and we all interact with the brand. We might see it on our favorite sports star on TV or wear Nike sneakers or their stuff to the gym or whatever. But we interact with a brand with very, very small touch points. And I don't think there's a business where those touch points are as small. You don't realize how small they are compared to the organization size. It's like an ice cube sticking out of the water with the biggest iceberg ever under it. And so it operates through several business units. And uh, really, I don't have this written down in front of me. So listeners will have to forgive me when I if I miss any. So I know they have media networks, which is all about broadcasting and radio and publishing and all these digital businesses, uh, the ABC television group, uh, Espen, they still own ESPN, do they, Mike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then they have parks, um, experiences and products, and and that's the theme parks, uh, resorts, consumer products, cruise liners. I mean, like when you think you take a cruise, a Disney branded cruise, that's just one element of one division of the business then they have studio entertainment uh which is pixar marvel uh 20th century uh, fox 20th century lucas films like just that they own star wars alone that's an empire then they have direct consumer um and as you said already mike they have disney plus hulu uh espn uh espn plus i think um then they have all these overseas disney channels they also have a division called consumer products which sells merch and publishing and games and many years ago i saw this really nice map of the entire disney business and it was shaped like mickey mouse's head and i had all these different studios all over the world that are all concerned with one particular element of their business and honestly i just don't think nvidia is even one tenth as complex as disney it's like the most mind-boggling complex far-reaching multifaceted business you could ever imagine and and again a bit like nike it's one of these everlasting brands that you could decide i'm just going to buy a handful of shares and leave them to my grandkids on my will yeah unless you bought them nine years ago and died today (laughs) (laughs) well Um, it's been a couple couple of rough few years even for disney well let's talk about the downturn so and it's tough Mm. to know where to start really because there's so much going on but i think let's start at the top and we'll go through the succession plan or the botched succession plan where bob chapek came in as Iger's successor no one basically liked him or his ideas he got the boot yeah Bob Iger had to put the golf clubs back in the shed for a few years. He came back. Obviously, one of the greatest 
business leaders of the last 50 years was Bob Iger and what he yeah. did for Disney was huge. But since he's come back, he's only really been putting out fires. You know, one of those mm. fires, the most consternation I'll say for his sake is probably Disney Plus and the money pit that that's become. And mm. I think this is evident across all of streaming where so many companies have come in, decided to do streaming, pumped millions billions i'd say in disney plus's case into the content side of things and aren't seeing the return on the consumer side when you charge people five dollars and change for a month like that's not surprising and obviously that was the growth strategy behind chapek was <clears throat> exponential growth and then worry about the numbers later but now the numbers are coming coming home to roost mm. and it's not looking good so Iger's main Iger's main initiative now is to make Disney Plus profitable. He's put the price up a couple of times this year. And it's just, I, I don't know, would that have been his strategy from the start? Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think yeah. that's one of the main concerns here is that Disney is still hemorrhaging money. It's happened to look to sell off divisions. I heard, I saw recently it's considering selling off its, its Indian operations. It's still uh, floating in a sale of ABC. A lot of investors wanted to sell ESPN. I don't think it's going to, but there's so much going on here. And all of this time as well, it's going to have to spend about $8 billion, I think, to buy the rest of Hulu off Comcast. Oof. So it's pumping more and more cash into the streaming side of things. So it's, it's kind of locked in there. It doesn't have a choice. Yeah. It has to make streaming work. And I still, I don't know if that would have been the most efficient use of its capital. And then that's very hindsight is 2020. But I don't know if Bob Iger could go back to 2018. Would he say, we'll spend all this money on streaming. We're going to have to cancel our dividend over COVID and we still haven't brought it back. There's so many things going on there that aren't mm. really helping investors, especially in this mindset where everyone is looking at cash flow and balance sheets come under more scrutiny. So I, just that money sink of the streaming really, really is holding the business back at the minute. I'd say Bob Iger is sick to the core because he handed over this near perfect multimedia entertainment co consumer experience business. It was perfect. He wrote his autobiography, which I which my son read and told me was brilliant. And then we went to find it and I couldn't and we lost it somewhere. And I, I went to buy it again and it was gone. And I'm sure I well, I'm not sure. I wonder Bob if Bob Iger is like, damn, I wish I hadn't written that autobiography. There's another three chapters to go. Um, but uh, I, I you're right. I don't know if the hole in the boat uh, of Disney is entirely down to Disney Plus because I am too clear on the financials of it. But certainly anecdotally, based on what I'm hearing and reading, it is the problem child. And even if you speak again about a consumer experience of just one. So we here uh, in my family home are subscribed to everything. We don't have a dodgy box. We pay for everything. So we're subscribed to Netflix and Prime and Paramount and Sky and Disney Plus and uh, Sky Sports and everything. So whatever, we've stacked them all up, which is a source of uh, frustration, <laughs> digital frustration, because um, when you go to look for a show, you know, unless you have a Roku stick, another subscription, mm -hmm. uh, you you kind of have to kind of uh, troll all the, is it troll the right words? Troll, rather troll all these different services. And I find Disney Plus, to be the one of lowest value. I don't find the content to be 
aligned with my family's interests anymore. My kids are too big for the Pixar stuff. Um, my wife and I aren't too interested in the other programming they've got. It seems that Netflix keeps the content current. It, you know, does all, does all these moonshots. Uh, uh, Prime is kind of positioned itself around the, the vast movie content it bought when I bought the studio in Hollywood. And uh, all the others have kind of got a stronger value proposition as far as, as I'm concerned. So from an opinion of just one from billions, I just think that Disney Plus is not a very good service. And it would be the first that I'd kill if I had to make a choice. Now, is that reflected across the, you know, uh, digital service buying world? I'd say it is, to be honest. What do you think? Yeah, yeah I'd agree. And I think yeah, even more problematic issue right now is that in the cinemas i think this is coming through as well mm. marvel the marvel stranglehold that's been on box office for the last what when was, when did iron man come out like late 2000s so the last 15 years we'll say it was the it was the only blockbuster in town i think mm. that influence is kind of weaning now mm. I mean, the post we'll say the avengers era of marvel isn't connecting the same way it has with audiences before and that's a major concern because these were all billion dollar outlays uh basically their last three big movies i think the avengers movies and that spider-man one were all three of the top seven movies to ever come out mm. and i don't know if that cash spigot is being i won't say turned off but definitely turned down and mm. obviously this is being affected by short-term issues like the writer strike and the actor strike as well but i genuinely think it's a cultural issue where people are looking for real movies now they've been criticized for so long you know and amongst actors and directors obviously because it's eaten into their profits but you know the kind of criticism of oh it's just another superhero superhero movie i think mm. people are, are kind of losing their touch on that and I, i'm not surprised and i don't think it's a bad thing either as someone who enjoys film and tv yeah it's true i mean they, when you look at it, i the way they've extracted value from some of their assets like the lucasfilm uh the star wars franchise like they've trashed that to bits there's no i don't think there's a story left to be told our character left to be highlighted and there's going to be a long lifetime value in the star wars franchise it's going to deliver multiple fold of whatever they paid over the next 40 50 years but i don't see there being much left for them to do in the short term with that family of assets i think the, of all the let's say uh, film producing assets that they've got i'd imagine pixar is the one with the longest shelf life because it can produce something truly original uh as fast as i suppose to their their studios can deliver it yeah one struggle with pixar especially when it comes to box office is that they've created this cadence where people basically know that it's going to come out on disney plus in the next few months anyway so why would we bother yeah. going to the cinema yeah so it's kind of shooting itself in the foot there as well i i in terms of we'll wrap up disney now but again we're going into this problem of like systemic issues or investment thesis investment thesis breaking issues mm. i think Disney has so much more to fall back on that I, I don't think I could put it into that bracket. I think the sell-off is probably maybe not exaggerated, but maybe has momentum in terms of, you know, we see a headline every couple of months, Disney at six-year low, seven-year low, eight-year low, now at nine-year low. And that sell-off is kind of feeding into it. And activist investors who got on board, Nicholas Peltz is there. He's looking for board seats. 
making Bob Iger's job even more draining, we'll say. And it definitely needs a turnaround, and we're going to see a lot of assets being sold off. But I have a lot more faith, we'll say, in Disney doing that. I think mm-hmm. the IP there, the parks, the parks and parks and cruises and entertainment, that's that backbone, the cash cow, it's always been called. Uh, so it's almost an insurance policy, and then it can figure out the rest. And it's going to rejig. It's going to rejig its uh, consumer-facing side and maybe lay off ABC, lay off its Indian operations. Probably invest heavily into Hulu because it has to, because I think it's on the hook for about eight billion for Comcast. But, but I have a bit of faith that it's capable of all that, and it won't be. It won't be a short-term turnaround. It's going to take a good few years, but it's there to be done. Does that make sense? Big time. I mean, you're right. This is the most diversified media company you could ever imagine. So you're right. There are problem children, if you like, and and whether it's Disney Plus or their cruise liners or theme parks need a facelift. Again, just as we discussed with Nike's inventory, these just go with the industry they're in. There's uh, consumer taste cycles. They have at the moment Disney. Their their capital efficiency is quite low compared to historic uh, historic data. Like the, once upon a time, they had a return on equity that was constantly above twenty percent all the way up until twenty eighteen. Then it started to fall, 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 and it's now in the low single digits. It's around three percent. So the business is not capital efficient at the moment. However. You can, again, we've Bob Iger at the helm. We have a team of MBAs there to figure it all out. And they will figure it out because there's no one part of that business that can drag it down. And ultimately, it has the ability to divest the underperforming parts of its business. We just have to see how and when that happens. Yeah. And it can always fall back on the parks and cruises for that cash injection when it needs to, too. Yeah. Okay. Every day. All right. Uh, if you are on the hunt to find the decks, Disney or Nike, uh, you're going to love reading our newsletter. So we're delivering to your inbox one of the most unique products on the market. It's completely free and no one else is covering the markets we're covering. So Charging and Fearless, we'll be delivering to you a new weekly stock pitch that could be from Amsterdam, Tokyo, Paris, or somewhere in between. So a completely free stock pitch every week. You'll have it read in about a minute flat. And we can almost guarantee most of these companies are going to be brand new to you, which is where you get an edge. So sign up now in the show notes for this episode. All right, Emmett, we're going to finish off with PayPal. And I brought up this systemic issue uh, concept a few times. And I think this is probably the company that may be facing that the most. So quick run through, down more than 80% from all-time high set in July of 2021. Currently trading at a price to earnings of 14 and a price to sales of 2. Its five-year average price to earnings is 54 and its price to sales is 8. So that kind of gives an example of the multiple compression and how far down it's come share sitting at around 2017 levels when the company was at about a quarter of the size we'll say so paypal like most of tech was flying over the pandemic as you can see obviously it's an e-commerce payments processor that's going to work when no one can leave their house and everyone's ordering online but its hangover seems to be a lot worse than most so obviously kind of nearly every company went through this boom bust cycle of rapid growth to slowing growth, outsized costs, pullback, uh, job losses, you know, cost cutting, whatever else. But that doesn't really tell the full story here with PayPal. So I think increased competition is a big one here, especially on the consumer facing side of the business. And it's led to active accounts falling. And it looks like the business might even be pivoting a bit more to the merchant side of things with its brain tea product, which is kind of a competitor to Stripe and Agen. 
because we can talk about this anecdotally here and we look at the Peter Lynch style of investing. When's the last time you checked out with PayPal? Uh, it's it's hooked up to the Sony PlayStation Five, so when something is purchased on it, that's when I when my household uses it. But other than that, I don't see it integrated into my everyday life. What about you? No. Same, and and I think it's tough to look at this because it's very anecdotal and it's my experiences. But I've seen checkout with Apple and Google Pay ten times as much as I see with PayPal now, and it's so much easier as well. It, 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 it really has been caught up, we'll say, with the other competition. And it, and it feeds into this concept that payments processing especially has become a bit commoditized yeah. as an industry. Um, so we're seeing this across a lot of the businesses in this industry where multiples have fallen off a cliff, competitors are flooding the market, and then take rates and basically your piece of the pie gets smaller and smaller. So Adgen was a big one there. It was cut in half when it released the poor earnings report for Q2. Uh, the European payments company Worldline last week fell by as much as 60% in one day. Uh, wow. It was blaming macro conditions, significantly slow down its business, and it's basically citing fear amongst other payment companies. Since we go back to Nike there where we're talking about discretionary spending. E-commerce spending is 100% discretionary spending for most people. So if we see a pullback in spending and a weaker consumer, PayPal is definitely going to suffer there. Um, and then just, this is more conceptual, but the need for something like PayPal seems a lot less pronounced than, say, 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. The threat of fraud and the ability, just the general ability to pay online wasn't as common. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure, I, I don't want to be too harsh because I think the numbers are, underlying numbers aren't as bad as we'll say the conceptual side of things but is there a valid question that is paypal's business model in peril yeah it's very valid and when you look at um whether it's uh paul allen and y combinator or when you look at the where the money is going from venture capital firms which is the next step up from y combinator and when you look at the stream of businesses that are now floated on the stock exchange which is downriver there are more payment providers payment solutions payment processors the plumbing of payment than ever before it's absolutely such a crowded space and and even when you look at the seed investment sites in the uk and and the us like republic and uh crowdcube and cedars there's always some kind of payment solutions provider on a raise so definitely it's a highly competitive market but what i think an awful lot of listeners and again getting up on going up forty thousand feet what i think a lot of our listeners probably don't realize is the there's probably no business in the history of business that's had the gr- a greater impact on the world's, uh, how would we say, digital zeitgeist or its online zeitgeist. Like the impact of PayPal on the entire world of commerce yeah, you're is beyond belief. PayPal mafia, is it? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. one of the angles. I mean, um, these Silicon Valley luminaries known as the PayPal mafia, they set up companies after working in paypal or after being a founder of paypal such as tesla guess who linkedin palantir spacex uh yelp yammer uh slide affirm like the number yeah. of companies they, you can give there. facebook a bit of credit there as well because like wasn't 
Peter Thiel. I know he didn't found it, but he was yeah. he was right in at the start, you know. You bet. I mean, you could also give like uh, in two thousand and five, two guys who are not part of the PayPal mafia, Chad Hurley and Steve Chan, founded YouTube. I mean, come on, why can't they be in on the the the, the PayPal mafia crew? They should be allowed. I think there's fourteen in the PayPal mafia, yeah. and those fourteen people plus the two lads who founded YouTube effectively launched, I would say, at least half of the top twenty largest digital slash new age businesses that the world has ever seen. Um, and there's so many chapters to the story. And uh, we all know about the Twitter rebrand. And I was talking about the guy who who did the X logo. But originally, PayPal was a money transfer service offered by a company called, uh, was it Confinity? I think it was Confinity. And it was acquired by X.com in 1999 which if that sounds familiar is obviously something that Elon Musk nurtured and kept in his heart yeah. right through to today. That's why, that's why PayPal kicked him out, you know. He wanted to change no, the name. No, I didn't to, know. He wanted to change the name to X.com. He's been trying to make X.com for 25 years. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I'd heard that somewhere along the way, but you know, you, there's so many stories about Elon, you just kind of end up, it's just this constant stream of stories. It's yeah. amazing how quick, but yeah, so to your point anyway, PayPal today is is sitting in the most competitive battlefield, I think, imaginable, but it's a very profitable competitive battlefield. And even now today, we were talking earlier about return on equity and return on capital for the other two businesses but paypal is its return on equity is 20 percent. it's a really capitally capital efficient business it's Absolutely, just that yeah. it's it's pro it's the cash in the register its sales is pretty flat and you can see why yeah well the stock market's a forward-looking entity so it's not really taking into account the current balance sheet but maybe what it's going to look like in five years and with these yeah. competition concerns it's it's hard to ignore but i i do think we have to check in on the numbers of small bits so it's sitting on 10 billion cash and it's taking in about 5 billion in free cash flow a year so it has the opportunity to maybe relinquish its status as a growth stock become but become a very shareholder friendly business and buy back mm. stocks you know you know up its dividend be savvy reduce costs and and have the shareholder at the forefront of its thinking. And I think that would definitely boost its, uh, at least its, at least its valuation in the short term. I'm not sure if it's maybe the best long-term strategy, but I think it's got a bunch of activist investors on the board. Um, so there'd probably be pressure there to, to be shareholder friendly in the short term, especially, um, especially considering just how far it's fallen. And, and, like, I don't think it's, it's, it hasn't been mispriced in its history. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's amazing a brand that was once the challenger brand that created a solution for a problem most people were facing, which was this new thing called the internet where you needed to exchange money, has become um, an old world digital brand. And it's now yeah. looking, it has a like PE, like a real old world PE of something like 14. And you're right that when you look at the numbers, you realize this is just a mature business that needs to, I think, protect what it's got for a start and try and grow into new areas. And I don't know whether they're, I think when you go to purchase, you don't get too high and mighty about what brand you're using. If you go to a, a register and you see pay with Stripe, 
I think you're you feel no different to if it was if it said pay with uh, PayPal. You just it's 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 a utility. You just do it. So I think when they went and acquired Venmo and then all these other companies they acquired, they're really trying to just I suppose broaden their reach as opposed to acquire a cool brand. Yeah, uh, well, Venmo is an interesting point as well because if we're talking about a mature business, I think it really fumbled the bag there in terms of Venmo was there first. It had the obviously the P two P payments. So that was a huge opportunity to be the first digital wallet because you're already there in people's minds and on people's phones. You yeah. know, I think I think if Venmo, if they were on the ball with Venmo, it would look like Revolut today or even Google Pay and Apple Pay. Like Google Pay and Apple Pay wouldn't have had an easier, as easy a run as they did if Venmo was doing what it should have been back in 2016, 2017 yeah. when it had that critical mass. So, yeah. yeah. There's a new CEO. New CEO came in from Intuit in August, so it's very early doors to be talking about it now. And I think maybe we give them that potential to to have the opportunity to turn it around. Uh, I think earnings are coming out this evening, which is probably the day before this po- the day after that. Sorry, the day before this podcast comes out, so we might be looking quite foolish uh, in the space of two days. But uh, but yeah, I there's an awful lot to work with PayPal, and I I would. I would be very wary before I would start looking at the value there that has to be mm. unlocked because there's an awful lot to do. Maybe a short-term play. Maybe if the new CEO, as we said, gets very shareholder-friendly. But yeah, I'd be very wary about its long-term prospects. I think it's so competitive. And I think mm. it missed the boat on some key aspects, Venmo being one of them in that digital wallet space. So let's stack rank the three companies we discussed, PayPal, Nike, and Disney. Uh, and the question that I'm going to ask you and then I'm going to answer for you is if you had to invest $5,000, no, if you had to distribute $10,000 amongst those three stocks and hold it for 10 years, how would you distribute it? That's a good question. Uh, I'd rest, I'd sleep easiest with my money in Nike from these levels. Yeah. Um I think I would go I'd go five grand in Nike. No, I go six grand in Nike. Yeah. I'd go I think I go two and two then. I think PayPal probably has the most potential, but also has the most work to do. And I think there's a relative safety, like we said with Disney, in terms of the fallback and the IP and and just how deep a business it is. But yeah, 622 sounds good to me, I think. What, you, what about you? Yeah, I would go half into Nike, 5K into Nike, and then split to two and a half uh, grand into PayPal and two and a half grand into Disney. Yeah, and and the PayPal investment is probably the most risky and dangerous one there, but mm. also the highest potential because I think if it does manage a significant turnaround, I'm not sure where that would come from, possibly focusing on the merchant side and the brain tree side of the operations. But if it does do that and even even reaches like, you know, a PE of 22 or something, that's already a 50% gain if everything else yeah. is the same. So, so there's probably the most potential for a quick turnaround there. 
So, yeah. I find it, do you know, just a point of interest, Disney and Nike from a market cap perspective are almost the exact same size. They're both $150 billion businesses, which uh, I don't know why I find that interesting, but I do. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> and, what, that's what PayPal used to be before. This is true. Part. And now it's a $56 billion business. So yeah, roughly yeah. speaking, PayPal is about one third the size of either Nike or Disney, uh, which has no bearing on on anything really other than just uh it is still a mega brand and and as you said it used to be as big as disney yeah absolutely all right that was a good show i enjoyed that the kind of me too of mike off the cuff we, riffing we should never prepare again <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anyone wants to hear that from us what are we talking okay. about today, Emmett? I don't know. What do you think? Nuclear? Yeah. Nuclear? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you, that's our new formula. And it's great to be back with the OG. This is it. There was an organic show. We managed to talk about stuff without having to think about what are we going to talk about with an intelligent yeah. person. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it too. <laughs> um, all right, we'll finish up there. So before we do, though, I just want to give a quick word from our friends at Vodafone Business. Vodafone have recently launched their VHub digital advisory service offering Irish business of all sizes free one-to-one digital support and advice. You don't even have to be a Vodafone Business customer to avail of this service. So search Vodafone VHub to book a call with one of the VHub digital experts and we'll leave a link in the show notes for today's episode. Emmett, thanks for joining me and thanks everyone for listening in. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevated pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review and share us with your friends. And that's it. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.